Great to be here. How many of you glad to be here? All right. Tell you what, I, um, Pastor Ryan lets me come about every nine months or so. I just figure that's, you know, he's not worried that I'm going to ruin things, you know. And he's never here when I speak. Isn't that kind of awkward, you know, like he doesn't want to hear me. No, he was here in the early service. He's over in Ahwatukee. And um, I know this. I, I'm sure you're this way too, but I like what God is doing at Generation Church. It's exciting. First service was incredible. I, I just, uh, and I, I thought to myself, at my age, I cannot have heroes that are 34 years of age, okay? But I love your pastor, and, and pastors uh, Ryan and Amy to me are phenomenal. They're, they're, they're great pastors, they're great leaders, and uh, Amy, just glad to be here always. You guys are awesome, and uh, it's always an honor. I love to speak God's Word. I get to travel now around church to church. Last week, I was up in Prescott Valley, a church of about 100 people, and uh, a couple weeks before that, I was way down in Wilcox, and a church we were just going to close down, and a guy from New York came and said, no, I'll do it, and they're up to 38 people now that morning, and it's really cool. And uh, so I get to travel around, but I have to say, there's just no place like Generation Church. And everywhere I go, I tell you, it's great to come back here. And um, you're, if this is your home church, you're really blessed. If it's not your home church, what's wrong with you, all right? I mean, you, you need to think this through, right? But you've got great pastors, love the staff. But I love to bring God's Word, and that's what we're here to do. So if you have your Bible or handheld, go to Psalm uh, chapter 37, Psalm 37. And it's just an honor to get to share God's Word with you today. Today's a, a, a subject that to me is very relevant uh, to the day. It's something a lot of people struggle with, and I'm going to open up maybe a little bit of my own heart to you a little bit this morning. But, um, you know, I, last time I was here was Mother's Day, and I opened up with a, a clip from the NFL. How many of you know that takes guts, all right? Mother's Day and football. But we, uh, it, it was fun. Actually, Pastor Ryan was gone, and I said to Aaron, what do you think about running the clip? And he goes, hey, he's not here. Go ahead and do it, you know? So, so we just did it, and Pastor Ryan never even knew, so don't tell him. On Mother's Day, we watched football. But uh, I figured today, hey, if I did it Mother's Day, I better talk about football today. Wow, that's overwhelming support. Thank you very much. Oh. But uh, I'm an NFL. I love the Arizona Cardinals. I'm excited about next year. I like our new coach. Um, I love that Fitz is coming back to, to, to play in at least one more year. And um, how many of you know when you get the first round and the first pick of the first round, you've had a really bad year, okay? So I don't know about you, but I think we're going to get a great defensive player, and I'm, I'm looking forward to things. But I'm from Illinois, so I carry this dual loyalty. I've got the Cardinals, and then I've got my good old loyal Chicago Bears, and they came back this year. I hear there's three of you. I love that, Okay. But they had a great year. And uh, just a few weeks ago, they were in their playoff game. And uh, I don't know why. I was trying to think of that. And looking at this message, I'm not quite sure why that we, um, that we were home. But I was just home alone. And so Carla, you know, she's an, just a, an a, a avid fan. She, uh, like, came in and watched three minutes of the whole game at some point, you know. But she kind of comes and goes. When something exciting happens, she comes in. Well, I was there alone. I didn't have anybody to turn to. I tend to talk the whole game normally. And I'm just there alone. And, and, and about the, somewhere in the first quarter, I just said, I... I mean, this is crazy, but I am just, I'm, I'm like a knots right now, you know? And, and I kept saying that. Well, we, we bought Apple Watches for each other for Christmas, and we didn't know we were doing it. Is that not cool? All right? 34 years of marriage means, honey, I know what you need, and you know what I need, and we did it. Isn't that awesome? Of course, we have three girls that probably helped along the way, but I didn't know she was getting me an Apple Watch. She didn't know I was getting her one, and so... She came through about the second quarter and said, well, uh, Jeff, why don't you check your heartbeat? So I, I checked it. 
and watching a football game. Now, granted, it's the playoffs and it's the Chicago Bears, but still, I'm watching. I, I was 40 beats more than my normal resting heart rate. A minute, okay? That's 40 more of those, okay? I mean, that's a lot. And so then by the third quarter, I checked it again, hit that little heart. It came up over 50 beats a minute more than my normal rest. How many know this is stupid, okay? This is crazy. But I was just, I was just so anxious, you know? And then if any of you don't know what happened, well, let's close in prayer. I'm too heartbroken. I mean, it just, it was... Uh, if you don't know what happened, all week long, I listened to ESPN Chicago. I listened to a podcast that they had their, their uh, press conferences. So I'm, I'm listening all the way up and literally many, several times, at least four, if not five times that week, I heard one of the commentators say, can you imagine if we get to the end of the game and Parkey has to kick a field goal of say like 30 or 40 yards or something and everybody go, no, we don't want that to happen. Fill in the blank, baby. That's what happened. It was crazy. And I'm sitting there, and, and Carla's got the defibrillator out. She's got, you know, smelling salts. And he hits it, and he hits the goalpost, not once, but twice. It comes down to the horizontal bar, and we all just sat there. And my heart was just like on a plate. I mean, it was horrible. How many of you are relating with me, and you're worried for me right now? Okay, thank you. But they lost the game. It was a stunner. How many know it's crazy how we get worked up over things like that, right? But I mean, literally, you know, my heart was probably going 60, 65 beats a minute faster than it normally did. And all it is is a stupid football game, but it's a big football game, I might add. But it's a stupid football game. You know, anxiety is uh, a big deal today. It's huge. Matter of fact, when we look at, I just looked at some statistics this week, and if you have your Bible, you can go there to Psalm 37. We'll be there in, in a couple hours, and, and it'll be great once we reach that point. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But anxiety, they say today, statistics just released, 30% of all prescriptions that are given. And, and we in America, we really like our drugs, don't we? A third of all the prescriptions that are given at Walgreens, CVS, a third of them are anxiety-related. Matter of fact, we look at other stats, 41%, a recent survey of employees said they are having anxiety issues in the workplace, four out of every 10 Another study found half of college-age students, they said, I need to deal. Someone needs to help me with my, with my anxiety. As a matter of fact, the Journal of Psychiatry said it estimated the cost of $42 billion it costs for Americans to deal with their anxiety. And, and, and just to help us, well, what does that mean? It's just a big number. It is one-third of all the costs for mental health. One-third, that 33% goes to helping people with anxiety. So friends, we, we've got an issue here. It's the number one mental health care issue today is anxiety. Anxiety Center is a group of mental health professionals that deal almost exclusively with, with anxiety. And they came out with something interesting recently, and, and I'm sure they've had all along, but I stumbled onto this and realized that that couches it very well. Experts, these are mental health experts. These are psychiatrists and psychologists and, and doctors and counselors, et cetera, and therapists. And they explain to us that, that, that anxiety is not an it kind of disease. It's not something that just comes out of nowhere and we go, oh, I've got it. They say it's not that. And these are experts. They say anxiety is the result of behavior. Mm. That brings it home, doesn't it? 
Matter of fact, they say three things. Anxiety is caused, number one, by worry, and they attach fear to that. So it's where you worry about things a lot. You're a worry wart. Do we have any worry warts here? I know we do. I know we do, right? You just worry all the time, which moves us to the second. They say it's thoughts. It's your thought life. And so you can't get off the wheel of thoughts that, that drive you, and you worry, and those thoughts are going in your mind. And then third are people that expect the very worst in the future. They are the prognosticators that say, oh, I know it's going to be bad, whatever happens on that trip, or I know it's just going to, it's something the shoe's going to drop. And you live in that expectancy of, of worry in your mind of what's going to happen in the future. Those are the three things they say. Now, what's fascinating to me and why I am so committed as a Christian man is that this book seems to just connect all the dots, doesn't it? And it's amazing how often the Word of God talks about worry and fear. It's amazing how often it talks to us about our thought life. Matter of fact, yesterday morning, I rolled over in bed, and immediately Philippians 4, 8 was in my mind, and it's a verse that says, you need to think about these things rather than thinking about these things. That's what the Word of God says. And the Bible has an awful lot to tell us on how you and I can regulate the way we look into the future and how we deal with it. Matter of fact, Jesus, he always had a poignant word, didn't he? And Jesus addressed it this way. You can look to the screen just quickly. I'm in Matthew chapter 6 now, and this is called the Sermon on the Mount. It is three chapters long, 5, 6, and 7, and it's an amazing sermon that Jesus gave. And, and he said these words. There's a whole block of that sermon that deals with anxiety, so Jesus says this. Now, this is 2,000 years ago. Think how amazing it is. He said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Two verses later, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Listen, I've been a worrier before. Jesus, he's, it's really good what he's saying, isn't it? Can all that energy you're putting out on worry really change anything of your life? No. If anything, it debilitates you. It ruins your life. But then look at how he said it. So don't worry about these things. There it is. Number one, worry. That's what the, the experts tell us. Jesus said, don't worry about these things, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. The NIV uses the word pagans. It means those that know nothing about God. So here is Jesus, the son of God, talking to all the humanoids in front of him saying, we know your issue. Your issue is that you shouldn't do what the others do, and that is it dominates your thoughts. Jesus zeroed right in on number two. And then he said, verse 34, so don't worry about tomorrow, the future, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Isn't that amazing? Yes. I'm reading a website from 2019, and Jesus talked about it in 34 AD, say, or 31 AD. It's remarkable. Jesus pegged it. Why? He didn't want that crowd to disperse and go into an anxious life. He wanted them to know the Father cares for them, that God, what we just sang over and over this morning, how good God is, and we do it week after week. And I don't know about you, but I could barely speak in the first service. I was singing so loud. I was just, oh, I was going for it because I believe everything we just sing because it's based on this book. God is a good God. God's a good God. So I want to take you today to one example of God's way to overcome anxiety. And, and, and I want to be upfront, and I'll be honest with you today. I have dealt with anxiety in my life before. Now, I've had, I've had anxious seasons, but the last two or three years, I, matter of fact, there, there are a few people here this morning that I've shared this very personally with them. 
than the last two or three. I've just, I've not dealt with anxiety like I have recently. So I'm not coming, looking my nose down at anybody. I, listen, I'm with some of you here, and by statistics, it might be about a third of us. Because this is just societal. Listen, this is church. I've seen it this week. Three or four pastors talk to me we, we, we're on the subject of their anxiety or their church's anxiety. So it's very real. So just to let you know, and matter of fact, if you're here today and you say, well, I, I don't have any issues like that. I never worry about anything and I don't fear anything. And, and you know, and I, my thoughts are always perfect and I'm the most positive person and I don't even worry about tomorrow because everything's going my way. Great. You bug me, but great. You know, I, I'm glad that's the case. But you know what? You might want to take your phone out and as these six points come up, because you're not going to remember them. They're not little. I listened to my, one of my good friends on a podcast this morning getting ready for church, and, and you know, he had like five Ps for you to remember. Well, I don't have five Ps. I've got five or six sentences for you. So you might want to take your phone and just click it or else just jot these down because it may not be now, but I bet someday in your life you may say that little bald man with glasses was right, <laughs> and I, I should have been ready to listen to him, Okay. So there's six things that we're going to look at from Psalm 37. And, and as we look at them, the, the, the beauty of this, and I tend to have a pretty simple approach to Scripture. I like to read it and then apply it. But of course, as a pastor, I do dig a little deeper. I like to mine out, if I can, the Hebrew or the Greek. And, and oh, my goodness, with software today and all, you can, you can get into some of the nitty-gritty of it. And we're going to do that this morning of these six things, okay? And, and yet, as we look at it, there's two things that are obvious in Psalm 37. The first thing is that David is, is struggling with attention. And it's something that is found throughout Psalms. Matter of fact, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he used these same two phrases in the Sermon on the Mount. He addressed the very same thing. And that is that you have a struggle between the godly and what the Bible calls the ungodly. Or those that believe and those that do not believe. Those that, are, that, that, that love God and those that really don't care for God or know anything about God. There's this, there's this differentiation that takes place. And interesting enough, in this psalm, it's kind of crazy, but in this psalm, nine times we read the phrase, the righteous, and 12 times we read the phrase, the ungodly or the wicked. So you've got that tension pulling all the way through 40 verses. We're only going to read eight of them. But you have this tension between the godly and, and what we call the ungodly. And David is wrestling with this. And I sense a frustration in his voice. I sense him going, I know the way I need to live. I know how I overcome this. But there's something really bothering me about godly and ungodly and wicked and righteous and, and the different kind and, and, and where he falls in this both for the long term. But even right now today you sense in, in David. And there are little nuggets, and I'll just throw one your way in verse 25, because it's kind of interesting. But, but, but David says this, I was young, and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. There's the righteous. So now David, and that helps us know, he's not a shepherd boy. David had quite a life, and what an amazing life to read in Scripture over and over again. But, but this is later in his life. He's lived his life. He's a king. He's the king of Israel, and he's got it good but you sense in David, he still has had his struggles. And he's saying here, now I'm old. I was young, I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous not taken care of by God, yeah. is his point. Now, why would he say that? We'll see it in just a moment here in, in verse number one. The second thing is that I see this almost like a prescription or an antidote. And that's what's so cool about it. It was months ago, I was struggling I go to my chair, the same chair that beat 145 beats a minute watching football is my chair that is so cool with God in the morning time. 
And I was in my chair, and I'm a rocker recliner guy. I love lazy boy. May it never go out of business. I, I will go to heaven right then. I have to have a lazy boy. My poor wife is stuck with lazy boys her whole marriage. We stood there and said, to death do you part? Yes. Will you take the lazy boy? She said yes. So she committed to it 34 years ago, and I still am in a lazy boy. That's not in my notes. That's free. It'll save your marriage. It's a wonderful thing. But I was sitting there one morning, and beginning to read this and thinking, this is crazy. It's so obvious. It, 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 verse number one and two couches the challenge. Verses three, four, five, six, there, there's, your, there's your antidote right there. So let's read it together and then we'll comment. Verse number one, do not fret. Say that with me. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither and like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not, say it with me, fret. When men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes, refrain from anger and turn from wrath, do not fret. It only leads to evil. Now, now the word fret there, three times it says don't fret, don't fret, don't fret. What, how many of you know the theme of Psalm 37? Okay, there it is. It, take the obvious, don't fret. Don't be anxious. The word there means to be irritated or aggravated on the inside, and it's linked in the Hebrew to anger. So it's where something, you get your angst going about something, and it churns in you, and you let it go where it irritates you, and it agitates you, or it makes you worry about things. One Hebrew writer puts it this way. It means to be in a state of worry and concern as an extension of being internally angry. And we've all been there. David says, don't do this. So I know for some of you that you watch the news so much that you are internally angry a lot. And I've been there. I'm kind of a news guy and I'm a sports guy and my wife gets bugged at both of them, okay? In our family, in our house. But, but it, 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 it turns you. And trust me, without naming names other than Pelosi, trust me, okay? I get it, I get it, I get it. Oh, and Chuck. Let's throw Chuck in there. Okay, let's move on, okay? But see, the reality is you may not even care about politics, but you've got a seventh grader that's going to start junior high next spring or next fall, and it, and it bothers you. And, and you think, and you hear, and this, and, this, and, and, and it works you up, and and you maybe have someone on your job and, and, and just getting out of the car, you kind of get in knots a little bit and just walking by their desk first thing in the morning and, and you realize they're winning the battle here and there's something that goes right up to your mind. It goes right down to your gut and it, and it just rings you out. Or it might be when you pay your bills every week or every month. It is, it is something that throws your day off kilter because, because of anxiety. That's the word here. You kind of get angry. I don't have enough money. Don't have this, don't have that, whatever it may be, or I see what others have, David said. He said, don't be that way, don't be envious, see. And so, and you struggle then. Friends, hear me. Anxiety caused by three things, by worry and fear, by your thought life, and, and by the future concerns. That anxiety is something that God understands. He knows in this world you're gonna have tribulation. 
You're going to have trouble. You're going to have suffering. We just sing it. I love the very addendum to that one, one of the last songs had to do with then, you know, because we go then, if I have to suffer. Listen, we all go through suffering, different degrees, but we all do. And no one needs to know yours necessarily. You don't need them to know mine. But we go through these times, hear me, in the bottom line to it, God understands, he cares. And if you're here today, I have a good word for you. If you're saying, well, I, I kind of feel embarrassed because I'm a Christian and I have anxiety. Hear me today. David would not have written Psalm 37 if the Israelites didn't need Psalm 37 in that day. Amen. Matter of fact, and we, he knew or God knows we'd be singing it 3,000 years later. We're singing the same song. <laughs> And the same song and dance, right? We need this. And I trust Jesus. I've been there. There's a hillside right there up near the Sea of Galilee. And they say most likely that's where he gave the, the Beatitudes, that sermon. And he opens with the Beatitudes, chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. Trust me, the thousands of people sitting on that hillside, Jesus did not want them to leave with anxiety. So he said, do not worry and he said, take no thought, and, and don't let those thoughts go crazy the way other people do. And he, and he said, don't worry about the future. Just take every day because days are going to have trouble. So listen, you are in very good company. You're with David. You're with Jesus' audience. And here we are in 2019 A.D., and the Bears and Cardinals are not in the Super Bowl today. So, so I'm of your angry, a little internal anger. Okay, let's move on. The second thing I note here is not just that tension, but simplicity. Verse number one and then verses 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. And he gives us six things to do. Do not fret, trust, dwell, delight, commit, be still, and wait. And if you combine these six things and live them and exercise them and practice them with God, I'm telling you, he'll help you with your anxiety. So let's look at them quickly. The first one, and again, if, if you either write them down or to use your phone, you can just, just click the screen. I'm sure there's no copyright. Amy, surely not. Okay, well, he's, she's letting it go today. You can just take the notes. Right? <laughs> Verse 3, trust in the Lord. This word in the Hebrew has kind of two meanings. It means to rely upon God, but it means to have confidence in God. So trust in the Lord. We just sang that earlier. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. And I'm picturing that. It's to rely on God, but also have confidence in him. See, did any of you play the trust game back at camp or when you were a little kid or whatever? You know, where you get up on a chair or you're up at a big boulder up in the Granite Hills camp, a lot of us go to in, in Prescott, and you're standing there and your friends say, okay, close your eyes and, and fall back. And you ever been there? I did that a few times. I'm stupid. How about you? Okay, you know. <laughs> I mean, you're just trusting your whole life. Boom, they let you go. I would never trust Pastor Ryan to catch me at that moment. Now, Amy would. She'd lay her whole life down, I bet, but not Ryan. You know. I'm just kidding. Sorry, Ryan, I love you. But anyway, but I remember doing that. And you know, the fact is, I fully relied upon them, but that doesn't mean I had confidence in them. See, with God, he's there. He wants to catch us, but he also wants us to not only believe we rely upon him, but to believe he's going to come through for us. That's what it is to trust the Lord. So point number one, get your camera ready. Okay. Point number one is this. Instead of fretting, confidently rely upon God and do the right thing. Trust in the Lord and do good. Confidently rely upon him. See, we're, there's a little addendum there and do good. Why does it say and do good? Don't blow that off. See, because whenever we're all worked up and we have a lot of anxiety, we're wrestling with things, it's in those times many times we are tempted to not do the right thing. We're at work and thinking, you know what? He's, 
you just bugged me for so long. I'm just going to gossip a little bit and let a bunch of people get stirred up against him, and we might get him out of this office in a short time. You might do, not do good against that neighbor that's near you, and all of a sudden, you're not even acting Christian, quote, unquote, because we're not doing the right thing. We're called to do what's right. Do good. Do good. So the subtle enemy of the uh, temptation of the enemy would be to get us then to not do good because we're, we're living in, in fret. Instead of fretting, confidently rely on God. And then we come to verse 3, the next word, dwell. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Now, it's interesting, this psalm, and you could study it out, I won't go into all of it today, but in 40 verses, he uses the phrase, the land, seven times. So that too is a theme here. What is David talking about? Why is the land such a big deal? Well, the land means God's provision. It's what he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to give it to you and your posterity. And so Moses leads the children of Israel out, and then Joshua led them in, and they took the land that God had promised forever. And that land is still significant even today. They're battling over the land. And the Jewish people say, but this is our land. Why? Because God gave this to us centuries ago, millenniums ago. He gave us this land. The land mattered to God because he said, this is for my people. Now think of that. What God said to them is, if you'll live in the land that I provide for you, it's everything you'll need. I'll meet every need you have if you'll just serve me and don't turn to other gods. Because see, in the other lands, they were serving other gods. The God of Baal, the God of Ashereth, many gods that we read of in the Old Testament. And you know what they wanted? They wanted fertility. They wanted to have their food. They wanted rain for their crops. And you know what God promised Israel? I'll give you all of that if you'll just live in the land that I give you. And so God would preserve them there. Think when you and I are are wrapped up in anxiety. We're worried. Thoughts are just spinning in our minds. Can't sleep at night. We're thinking about the future, and we've got worries and concerns about the future. In those moments, you know what we need to do? We need to do what the Bible says to do. Trust in the Lord confidently and believe Him and do good. Dwell in the land. Live in what God has given you and thank Him for His provisions. Amen. Amen. Number two, then, is this. Get your camera ready. Instead of fretting, be satisfied where God has you and rest in it. Oh, that's hard. Got anxiety that we just sit and See, the word means to abide. It means to settle in. This is the Hebrew word for, uh, for dwelling. Abide, settle in. In other words, it's just, we need to just rest. This is where God has me. God is faithful. He's good. And then don't fret. All right. The third, oh, I love this one. We know at verse four, many of us, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. It's probably one of the most often quoted verses in all the Bible. Now, I, Old Testament especially. I want you to get the context again. Do not fret. Delight yourself in the Lord. The two, they can't cohabitate. The word delight here means to find a high degree of pleasure in or mental satisfaction in the Lord. See, for me, when the bears go from last place to first place, I have a lot of joy. So does my wife. It's wonderful. We share that with our Apple. Oh, we look at our watches and go, look, the bears won again. Isn't it wonderful? You know, they were in last place three years in a row, my friend. And this year they won 12 and lost four. They could have won 14 and lost two. It was a wonderful year. Okay. There are little things in life. I enjoy driving my truck. I didn't want to get it rainy and wet this morning. I wanted to call Pastor Ryan. Can you give me an Uber ride? I want to go to church, you know, but... But I enjoyed riding my truck. We have little things like that, and we enjoy about life. But here's what it says. Find a high degree of pleasure in the Lord. 
and be mentally satisfied in the Lord. Wow. Well, that's a whole different thing, right? The most beautiful definition of worship I've ever heard. Worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God. It's to feed our minds with the truth of God. It's to purge the imagination with the beauty of God. It's to open our hearts to the love of God. And it's to devote our will to the purpose of God. That is worship. Now, we worship this morning. I love music. I love to worship God. Oh, I love it. But it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday that we do these things because we're worshiping our God. We love Him. We commit ourselves to A.W. Tozer called worship a preoccupation with God. And I like that. It's where you're in the middle of your day and you think about God. Middle of your day, you think about God. And the God, what are the thoughts? The thoughts are good thoughts. The thoughts are thoughts, man, you're such a good God. I think we sang that this morning, didn't we? Over and over again in a couple of the songs. God, you're a good God. That is not just a trite little, oh, God's good. No, 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 no. God is good. It's a theology. It, it, the whole Bible is full of that, of how good God is. And so we love him and we hold on to him because he's such a good God to us. But you've got to catch this. It doesn't say delight in the Lord. It says delight yourself in the Lord. And Dr. Carl is here today, and he could help me much more with this, but it's a reflexive stem in the Hebrew, meaning the subject is not assisted or acted upon in any way. You are the subject. It's an understood you. You delight yourself in the Lord. It means no one helps you. No one assists you in the Hebrew. It means that stem means it's your choice to delight yourself in God. That's why worship is our choice to God today. Amen? And so we choose to worship him. It's Delight yourself in the Lord. I've had to work through this in recent months. And I, I'm, I'm 56 years old, and I, I've been a Christian pretty much my whole life, and I, and I love God. But I, I've had to a lot of mornings just stop and think, okay, how much pleasure do I have in God today? How mentally satisfied am I in the Lord today? So I'll sit in that chair, and I'll begin to think things, because I, I like the Bible. I know it pretty well. So I go back and I'll think about Adam and Eve and then Noah and then Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and then Joseph. And then I'll think of Moses. I'll think of, of Joshua. Man, we're already into the promised land right there. And I'll think about all the kings. And I'll think about the prophets and I'll think, wow, God, you were so good to Israel all through the Old Testament. What a faithful God you are. Oh, God, your said is wonderful. Your loyal love to your people. And, and, and it's just not long. And then I move into the New Testament and I realize for God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins. And, I, and the more that I think about it, how good God is, the more I rehearse it in my mind and I worship him and I thank him. You know what happens? A smile comes across my face and it's not long there's a peace that comes into my heart and I may have entered the chair conflicted but I leave the chair with peace in my heart of how good God is amen we serve a good God my line to Carla is this honey I got saved today and she knows what that means she knows God met me in that chair in that front room and I come back hop in a shower or whatever but it's just been a good listen that's what God wants us to make ourselves do you delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And just a little side thing, that means your desires will become God's desires. That's what's cool about that, all right? Let's move on, all right, quickly. Number three then, oh, it's this. Think happy thoughts about God and self-talk it. Think happy thoughts about God and, and self-talk it. 
We move on to number four, then, well, you better leave that on. Take a quick picture. Okay, I want you to capture it. And then we'll move to point number four. Point number four is this. Instead of fretting, drop the baggage you carry and give it to God. Verse five says, commit your way to the Lord. The next verb, commit. Commit your way to the Lord. I was taught this years ago. Matter of fact, I kept in my office, I pastored right over here on Power Road for 18 years, and I had a little stuffed animal, small little camel. And there are a few people here, I may have pulled out the camel with you at times. And and, and the camel would be to represent what this word means in the Hebrew. It means to roll. And the picture for the the Hebrew, the the Jewish person, would be a camel that's loaded down and burdened because, you know, they're wonderful and and they go a long way. And I don't know about you, I love the Geico commercial on hump day on Wednesday. Isn't it great? And that camel's going through, you know, and greeting everybody because he loves hump day. I love Geico. I mean, I, I I don't prescribe to them, but I love them. You know, their commercials are incredible. But, you know, they have those goofy legs and, and the, the knobby knees, you know. And then what do they do? They bring them to the point of their destination, and then they take them down and they roll them over because they're such mammoth creatures. And then they pull off all that load and that baggage. Then they get back up. And imagine how light the camel feels. <laughs> roll your way to the Lord. Your way is your past. Your way is your present. Your way is your future. Your way are your burdens. Your ways are the things you're worried about. Your ways might be your worry and your thought life and your concern for the future. Roll it to the Lord. Let him have it and let him take it rather than you. Amen. That's what the word means. Psalm says this. I love this psalm. The Lord daily bears my burdens. The Lord daily bears my burdens. If he's bearing them, why are we? God doesn't want you, okay, God, help me and we'll struggle along in this. God says, give me the load. Roll your way on to me. It's what Peter said, right? Peter said, cast your care, that's a noun, cast your care upon the Lord because he cares, verb, he cares for you. So we give the Lord our burdens. We give the Lord our our cares because he wants to, he doesn't want to share the load with us. He daily bears our burdens. He wants you to roll them over like a camel and you give the luggage to God and you get up and you go through your day. Isn't God a good God for us? Amen. Number five and six are found in verse seven. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And then it says again, do not fret. Okay. Number five, instead of fretting, sit quietly before God and quit talking. <laughs> See, the word here has two meanings. It's, it's to cease or stop and silence. I got really convicted on this months ago. I realized I'm a good stopper. I stop and spend time in the Lord's presence every day. But sometimes I talk way too much, and some here know that, and we don't need any amens. Let's just move on with the messages. <laughs> But it's to stop and silence. So a lot of mornings even, I've been in that chair in the last several months, and I not only am stopping and starting my day, just me and God, but there's been times that I think he's saying, Jeff, I already know that. Just stop talking. I would say shut up, but we're in church, so that would be awkward, right? But it really means that. It's silence. See, one of the things we do, when we're all worked up many times, we love anybody that'll give us an ear and they care about us. Oh, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know why. And so we, we just talk, 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 talk. You know what? The Bible says just to stop, be still. But it doesn't mean only to stop. It means stop talking too and be quiet before, before the Lord. We need to do that. 
And it really sets us up for the next one beautifully. And the sixth word is to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Now, this is a beautiful picture, the word wait. I first learned it in Isaiah chapter 40 because the NIV says hope. Like, wait a minute, waiting is to wait. Hope? How are the two? But that's the meaning, that's the expression of this word. It means to wait with anticipation. It's not Forrest Gump, you know, sitting on a bench somewhere and you're just kind of sitting there, okay? It's that you're leaning forward. You're expecting someone to come. It's much like whenever we go to a graduation, we have a friend or a family member, and, and you know how it is. We're waiting for them, and, and people are fanning themselves, and the crowd comes in, and we're all waiting, and then the line comes, and, and we hear pomp and circumstance, and then we all just sit there, right, and we let them line up and let them come in. No, no, no. We get off our chair. We've got our phones ready. We're just trying to catch that one glimpse of that one person, right, and they get up there, and, 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 you know, and, and we're just waiting, but there's an expectation while we wait. We are hoping for the big moment that's going to come. God wants us to do this. Rather than be fretting and worrying and anxious and jealous about things, he wants us to wait in his presence. He wants us to be still and be quiet and let his, his, just let his presence minister to us. And then he wants us to expect that he's going to show up and do something for us. Because I'm here to tell you, if you didn't catch it in the song this morning, God loves every one of you so much. He loves us so much. So, number six, rather than fretting, let God take action and stay hopeful. Let God take the action, stay hopeful. So, so let's look at these six things and then we'll conclude. Rather than fretting, confidently rely upon God and do the right thing. Be satisfied where God has you and rest in that. Think happy thoughts about God and, and self-talk it. Drop the baggage that you carry and give it to God. Sit quietly before God and shut or quit talking, okay. <laughs> and let God take action and stay hopeful. Here's what I've discovered through this. And, you know, the truth is that when I look at it, I'll realize I'm doing really good in about four of them, but I'm letting the enemy really use the other two. And it'll be one more. And if I get a morning where it all lines up, ah, you hear the angels in heaven singing. It's wonderful. But typically, I'm just kind of faltering here or there. But you know what I've realized? Number one, it's impossible for me to fret and fully confidently rely upon God at the same time. And then the second, it's impossible for me to fret but settle down in what God has given me and just rest in Him. It's impossible for me to fret at the same time, hear me, of finding pleasure in God and just happy thoughts about him and self-talking them. See, it's impossible for me to fret and, and give my load to God while I keep fretting. God knows that. So you know what he gave us here? He gave us an amazing prescription that says, I love you, and if you love me, come into my presence and just do these things because I want you to live consciously, wisely, circumspectly, but I don't you know, I want you to be ridden with anxiety. I want you to live a life of peace. And the Bible says we have peace and joy through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let me close with this. You know, the, the heart of all of this, I realize, is relational. And, and seriously, I, I pastored for now 35, 36 years of ministry. Hear me. I, I know what I know cognitively, but I've had to really learn in many, through months of prayer and things, I've had to really work 
on me knowing God really does want to be there with me. Because see, sometimes you sit and you read your Bible and you pray and it's like, God, where are you? You know, we talk about the heavens are brass. It's a sense. And then other days it's like, oh, again, the angels are singing and it's so incredible. But you know what? It doesn't matter how I feel. I know God loves me. And I know God cares about me. And so when I look at these six things, it's like I just, I need to embrace them because of a relationship that I have with God. See, there's a lot of religions in the world, and I realize Christianity, we're chunked out to be one of those religions, but you and I both know today, Jesus did not come to establish a religion. Jesus came to say, hey, God the Father loves you. And all of us here are bent. Everyone's bent because of Adam and Eve. Everyone's bent since because sin. But Jesus is the, the antidote. He's the answer. When he died on the cross, it was to let us know God loved us enough to pay the punishment and the price of the sins I've committed. And that's why we come back to him and we worship and we thank him because he paid the price so that all I have to do is believe in Christ and he will give me life and eternal life. Life and eternal life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? There may be one here or five or 10 or 20 that say, Jeff, I don't have that kind of peace with God. And you might be hanging on to yourself. You might be hanging on to the gods of this world. Oh, there's a lot of gods, absolutely. Little G's, but I'm telling you, we're talking about God. Creator, he made you, he knows you. He doesn't want you to worry. He doesn't want you, and he knows you're going to. And so he's given us everything we've talked about this morning. It's because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you through his son, Jesus. So I'm going to lead us through a prayer right now, and then we're going to worship in a closing song. But as we pray this prayer, I'm going to do what's kind of been my habit for decades now, and that is to ask everybody to pray this prayer with me. And, and if you choose not to, that's fine. But I'm going to ask everyone, even if you've done this many a time in your life, to pray it with me. And we're going to ask Jesus to come into our hearts and to say, if you're really God, then prove yourself to me, Jesus. He will. And, and maybe you've held out for whatever reasons. I want to give you a chance today to have eternal life through Jesus, but also to know him in a way that is a relationship. He is God's son, the only son of God. And he loved you enough to die for you. And now he's risen and he wants to come into your heart today. Would you pray with me? Let's just say these words together. Say, oh God, I acknowledge my sin. I've not lived a perfect life. I've done it my way, God, but I know I need you. Please forgive me of all my sin. Come into my heart. I may, I may not have all the answers, but I'm trusting your Bible that says Jesus came to die for my sins. And he is raised again. He is alive and he lives inside of hearts, and I want him in my life today. If you are real, then change me, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Father, I pray for everyone that walked in these doors 
And God, they have battled, maybe much like I have in times past, or they battled some anxiety, they battle some thoughts, they battle some worry, they battle the future, all of these things. Lord, I thank you that you love them and you care for them. And I thank you for the wonderful prescription you gave us in Psalm 37. May we live these things, Lord. May we put our nose to these things. May we seek to be in your presence, God. And I pray that you will bring peace and, and calm to the storm of every heart that's here today. May we practice your word. May we appropriate it on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Lord, coming back together next week to say, wow, God, you are great. And I've had the most peaceful week of my life because, God, you love us. So free them from their worries. Free them from their anxiety. May they find their hope in you, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen.